Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. Facing legislation in Australia that would require social media firms to pay Australian news providers for their content, Facebook and Google had noticeably different responses. After briefly expressing opposition to the government's policy, Google was willing to comply with legislation and agreed to negotiate with the Australian news publishers. Facebook, on the other hand, cut its services from Australia for a few days, though later it reached an agreement to go to arbitration with the news outlets and is in discussion with the government on the other items. Why did the two companies approach this issue so differently? And what will this law mean for the future of big tech in Australia? And what lessons can the rest of the world learn from this interaction between government, citizens, and a large tech company? To help guide us through these complex issues, AEI adjunct scholar Bronwyn Howell joins us from Wellington, New Zealand, where she is a professor of business and government at Victoria University of Wellington. Bronwyn has written extensively about Australia's standoff with Facebook and Google and how the legislative battles and regulations of other governments affect American tech firms. Bronwyn's perspective from down under sheds light on the debate on why we should pay attention to these regulatory discussions across the globe. Ronwin, it is so nice to have you on Explain to Shane. You guys have been busy down there in the Southern Hemisphere. So we've had a kerfuffle between Google, Facebook, and the Australian government and the Australian media that the world has been paying attention to. What is going on down there? Okay, well, a couple of weeks ago, the Australian government, federal government, passed a law which was, would require the big tech companies, notably Facebook and Google, to negotiate with the selected media companies in Australia on a code which would allow the media companies to be compensated by the tech companies for the use of content that they were taking from those to enhance the use of their own apps. So, for example, this was where Google might be taking a piece of news content and using it in its search to highlight or identify sites of interest for content. Or it could be in the case of Facebook, where someone would post or repost a piece of media content that had come from one of the media companies. It's a very different business model, what Google's doing and what Facebook is doing. And trying to attack it with the same feature of legislation seemed crazy. Well, of course, this is rather weird as well, because, of course, the justification that the government had for forcing this mandatory negotiation code came from an inquiry they started about two years ago into the market power of these big tech companies. And they concluded that they had market power in advertising market. But the code is actually endeavouring to use or to take the link between that market power and advertising, but link it to the breach of copyright that's happening when the two companies manage use the content that has been created by these content providers and then use it somehow within their own business models. And this is really interesting because there's two different ways in which these big tech companies use the media, use that content. And it's a really long bow to stretch between the finding of market power in the advertising market, which has created the target of Facebook and Google, and the issue of needing to compensate firms in the media markets, which have obviously come under pressure in the whole internet environment generally as a consequence of just the way the internet works. And the third point, as you've said, is that the way these two different firms are using the content is completely different. So it seems to be really difficult to actually have a standard one-size-fits-all code for negotiation. 
So Google is actually posting content as part of being a search engine. And Facebook has the users that are putting the content up. So they have very little control, at least at that level, but also introduce what's going on with the advertising market. You kind of pointed that out. So we've got a couple of different things going on here. Right. Well, I think in order to sort of get some sense out of all of this, I think we really have to go back quite a long way to think about, first of all, what the internet is doing in media markets generally. So to start with, the internet has allowed cheap copying and redistribution of content. And as a consequence of that, content that is put online, it's very easy for anyone, anywhere, having got hold of the online content to reproduce it, thereby breaching the copyright of the original owner, the creator. That has severe ramifications for the traditional media companies in the sense that they have lost revenues that they would have had from selling the content through their normal distribution channels, through their subscriptions, or through their um, paywall-type arrangements. The argument is that Google and Facebook, by using that content, are enhancing their business models, thereby being able to sell advertising better. But the, the issue here is that the traditional media companies also are now online, and they also sell online advertising as well. So there's many different markets going on here. It's quite convoluted, interrelated, systemically mixed up and integrated into a really complex web of what's happening. In your blog piece about the traditional two-sided market to reduce subscription fees on one side of the platform, they sold advertising on the other, but, but that whole model has been disrupted at like every level. The justification for the Australian intervention was, according to the Treasurer, in order to maintain the ability of the Australian news content providers to create news content. So the justification for the intervention was a content side reason, but the identification of the target for this particular negotiation was on the advertising side. So it's really difficult to see how these two things line up together. Because, of course, the Australian media companies have been put under pressure for a whole lot of reasons, not just because of what Facebook or Google might be doing, but a whole bunch of other reasons why people might be taking their content and breaching it. They were able to, through a discovery process, find that there were challenges in the ad revenue model, but somehow they have conflated this to be with this all has to do with content. Well, this is what's come out of the the ACCC inquiry that they started in 2018 was to inquire into the market of the media companies. And they looked at it from many different aspects, but the one that they found they could find a a market power holding against in the Australian market was in advertising. Because between the two of them, they have between 70 and 80% of the digital advertising market. Of course, in this digital advertising, they have taken customers away from the traditional media companies, which include Seven News, Nine News, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, all of these big providers who are doing providing online news content that are providing television news, media and news content and all those things. So the justification for intervention was to create a way to compensate media companies in order to create news content. But of course, this model of newspapers using advertising revenue to compensate for the creation of new or to fund news content is as old as newspapers themselves. It's not a new area. It's always happened that way. There's always been a two-sided market in publishing where advertising has subsidised content. So the fact that 
Google and Facebook are reducing their content is only a secondary issue because even before Google and Facebook existed, we were seeing the revenues of these companies reduced because of the copyright issue, the breach of copyright, because people could take their online posted versions or their, their television content and video it and distribute it and whatever. So the reduction in revenue because of the breach of copyright is widespread. But the Australian Code is endeavouring to prop up the Australian media industry by requiring two firms, Google and Facebook, with market power and advertising, to be the only ones who are required to compensate the news companies. The reason that it's deemed important is that these news companies provide what the Australian Treasurer calls public good journalism. And because that's being reduced in content because of the challenge in the revenues of the media companies, they're looking for ways to prop up that business case. And they've launched onto the fact that Google and Facebook could be tagged or taxed in order to provide a contribution to the creation of Australian news content. And that's what underpins the code. One of your earlier pieces that you did for AEI, you cited public opinion data that showed that Australians overwhelmingly support this move by the government. And so why do you think that is? Well, I think there's a number of issues going on there. First of all, we know that there's a general trend internationally to see the big tech companies as somehow the enemy of the state. Yeah. And I think when the enemy of the state is also located in a different country, then it's possible to also play off a number of other different prejudices as well. So there's a meme out there that big tech is bad, and there's also a meme out there that big tech companies that are foreign are better than big tech companies that are not foreign. And ultimately, this stoush has come down to a battle between the big tech companies in the US in competition with the big media companies based in Australia, because the companies with whom Google and Facebook are required to negotiate with under the code are the larger providers. So in order to be eligible to be required to be negotiated with under the code, these media companies have to be registered with the Australian News Content Regulator. And that requires it to be companies with significant turnover. That's a revenue of in excess of 150000 Australian dollars a year. So it's biased in favour of the big players who have arguably lost most because of this but they already have other ways of generating income anyway. The people who are really caught in the sandwich here are the smaller media players, say the local newspapers who have always run on an advertising model, who have always been free because they've never charged people, who create really important local news content but are not eligible to be required to be negotiated with under the code because they're too small. So I think there's some issues here that, The politics of this has become complicated as well because it can't just be simply seen as a simple good versus bad or the little little Aussie battler against the big evil giant from overseas. It's got these other issues going on as well about who's eligible to be negotiated with. It's also got the issue of the fact that the ACCC in its deciding of why this should be the way for compensation is also mixing up the markets. So it really is quite complicated. So for our American-based audience, can you tell us what the ACCC is? Oh, the ACCC is the regulator, the Australian Competition and and Consumer Commission. They're the ones who did the inquiry. They're the ones who determine which firms 
are required on the advertising side to do the bargaining. And there's a second regulator, look, I forget its name off the top of my head, but I can fill you in on that, who does the the registering of the broadcasters. And so they're involved in this as well because they're the ones who determine which broadcasters are required news firms are required to be negotiated with. Google came to the table a lot faster than Facebook did. I mean, Facebook eventually came back to the negotiating table. But so what was it that you think, just the evidence in this report that Google just said, you know, let's just go do this? Well, it's two very different business models for the two firms. Facebook, so Google, for example, we'll start with that, it's easier. Google, for example, has total control of what, of the news content it's going to pick up and use when it does its searches. So to the extent that the code exposes Google to liability, it can choose to use or not use content from the identified media companies. So if they want to limit their liability, they just choose not to include that content in their search or not to post it or not to manipulate it. So they can control the breach of copyright. Facebook, on the other hand, is much more limited because it's not responsible ultimately for what content is posted. Any user can post a piece of content. Now, that may be in breach of copyright, but if Facebook's algorithms then pick that up and redistribute it, then they don't know, ipso facto, whether in fact there was a breach of copyright that resulted in that being put up on the web in the first place. So if they now become financially liable for the the reproduction of that and the retransmission, it creates an uncapped liability because the original breach of copyright was not governed by Facebook. It was controlled by the user who put it up. And the point that Facebook has made is that this makes this very difficult and creates an uncapped liability for them if they have to go into negotiation on the basis of which pieces of content are actually used on Facebook because they don't have control over it. The second point that comes out of this is that they've claimed that this model is fundamentally at variance with the model of what the internet is supposed to do. The internet is supposed to be about end-to-end connectivity where the middleman is not responsible for the content that's put up by the users at the edge. So they see themselves there as being the middlemen, like the ISPs have been in relation to copyright content material that their users might tend want to send, say, via an email or something of that sort. Now, that particular content in the US, of course, is protected from the perspective of the company doing the carrying via Section 230. So they're protected from that and would not have the liability for the breach of copyright under those arrangements in the US. But what this is doing is it's requiring now a change in the view of who should be responsible, therefore, for the breach of copyright. So this takes us back to the arguments we had about 10 years ago when we were looking at whether ISPs should be liable in some way for identifying breach of copyright and acting against it. And in most countries... The approach taken in relation to that was to use the ISPs to help the rights holder enforce copyright against the person who caused the breach rather than requiring the ISPs themselves to be liable. What's happened in the Australian situation is there's been a muddling between these two different things where Facebook can't control 
the, the instances of breach because it's their end users that do it. Google can, which has likely led to Google being more amenable to coming to a deal with the content providers because they can decide between them what content will be provided and what will then, in fact, be used by Google in its search engine displays. And they can work out a verifiable and measurable means of doing the compensation. The problem for Facebook is that there's no way that it's easy to actually find a way of tracking and measuring that. And while algorithms can be used, the algorithms can be very imperfect because they're just taking the best guess stab at picking out what might be a breach or not. And what led to Facebook unfriending Australia was that they just they took the approach that if they were going to be liable to for financial costs for carrying this material, then the only way they could insulate themselves against that liability was to not carry it at all. So one can look at the unfriending a couple of weeks ago as an example of how good their algorithms weren't, because what we found with that is the algorithms were very blunt. And in order to take the risk-averse strategy, they cut all Australian content and in the consequence ended up cutting out a whole lot of legitimate material that should and could have been and was actually expected by the people posting it to still be carried. But that's just the problem with the fact that they don't control where the breach of copyright happens. You commented in your blog post of the unintended consequences and all these people that just got kind of caught into that, including, you know, nonprofits and they're just things that anything that was Australia based, but like they had to pick a line. Anything a line. that looked like it was news content created in Australia. So, for example, material about the COVID instructions carried by some of the local health and the state health authorities got shut down because it looked like news content. So, if they re, say rebroadcast a piece about handling something in relation to COVID, that got shut down. And because it's not so easy to shut down piece by piece, it's often a lot easier for them to shut down entire accounts. Then we find that they shut down the account of anyone who's putting that content up until they can sort out what the problem is. So it's very costly for Facebook to do that, or it's very costly in total for the system for these requirements to be put in place. And if Facebook is going to face the risk, then one can reasonably see that they would want to take a risk-averse strategy to limit their liability. I love this line in your blog where you say, the Australian code takes a legislative cudgel to a problem with roots deep in the internet's architecture and the economic consequences of disruption it has created. And then you talk about competition law. But what I find interesting is how they both have been pushed to arbitration, which is, you know, depending on, people have lots of different point of view on it, but a lot of this was about, you know, we're not just going to say this is a hard no, or this is, this is where the line is. It's basically like, we think you've, you've, you've done this again. We're just sending you to arbitration. You got to go work it out. Like you're just constantly being judged. Yes. And what it also means is that on the one hand, there's an assumption that it will be left to the market for contractual resolution which is what the, if you cannot come to an agreement, will go to arbitration is doing. That, I think, was a ham-fisted attempt on the part of the Australian government to allow for the fact that there were different models and there might happen to be different ways of coming to this agreement. But on the other hand, the ham-fisting is even worse because the eligibility to have to go to arbitration comes in the advertising market Yet the problem they're trying to resolve is the funding of news content in the content market. 
So it's a rather long bow to draw in the first place as to why you should be involved in this process. Yeah, it seems like they're trying to solve one problem with a different set of answers, and it just doesn't click for me. One can see why fitting the big tech companies with a big Australian legislative cudgel could be politically popular. Right, yeah, definitely. And this is reflected in those consumer surveys that everyone loves to hate big tech, and if your government goes to them with a cudgel, well, that's to celebrate but they have to do it correctly and appropriately and fairly if it's going to work for the big tech companies because, as we have seen, those big tech companies, in Facebook in particular, actually are an important part of the economy because they are the avenue for a large number of little firms in Australia for getting their material out. And a lot of little communicators, like a little tech company, a little company that produces tech commentary, was one of them that got cut out of the mix. Now, it's never going to be one of the ones that's going to be compensated by Google or Facebook. In fact, it's in the business of paying Google and Facebook to use their algorithms to actually put their message out wide and far. But they got caught in this because they were deemed to be creating news content. So there's been a lot of problems, and this comes down to the, the level of, well, who's eligible and who's caught and what content is covered and what isn't. And who's eligible to be compensated and who isn't? Do you think the regulators or the, I say in this case, the policymakers, because it'll eventually go to some sort of level of regulation, really didn't understand the value proposition or they just had a solution set and they needed to drive the facts towards the solutions that they wanted? Well, I wrote at the time, I believe, in AEI commentaries at some point about the Australian inquiry into the tech platforms in the first place. And that particular inquiry did show that even at that that regulatory aspect, it's difficult to unpack all of the threads that go through these multi-sided platforms. And because they are complex systems, it's very difficult to know exactly what's going to happen when you hit one side of it. You're going to cause something to blow out at another part of it. And because they're so intricate and so much of it is become woven into the very structure of what's happening is you never actually know to hit it exactly what surprises are going to come up. Even we see that even in purely linear markets, we get surprises. But obviously in these multi-sided platforms, we're going to get even bigger surprises. And because this is just not a simple two-sided market, we've got the two-sidedness of the advertising and content market. We've got the the two-sidedness of the social media market and the other content. We've got all of these things going on here. All content is not equal, yet how does Facebook know the difference? These many different things apply, and we don't necessarily have the tools or the knowledge or understanding of knowing exactly what we're doing when we tweak with these things, and we tweak with them at our peril. The number of problems from regulatory intervention, even in the relatively simple two-sided markets of telecommunications, are rife with problems. This is just many orders of magnitude greater for the potential to find unexpected consequences that may end up causing the creation of, in the system's way of describing it, fixes that fail. So going forward, what do you recommend that we keep an eye on? How do we best watch what's going on down under there? Well, What's happened is that Facebook and the Australian government have done the the Mexican standoff and they've come to a truce. What's happened is that 
the government has backed off and has given Facebook more time to come to agreements with the big media thing. In exchange, they have also decided that rather than just having a blunt finding of market power in the advertising markets to determine the eligibility for having to go to arbitration, they've given the ACCC more discretion in deciding whether the contracts that have already been struck do meet the expectations of the various parties and arbitration will only be required if it's believed that the contracts that have been struck voluntarily do not meet that objective. Of course, this now creates a third problem because we've seen here that this is very political and the big Australian media companies are strongly unionised and that's why it's them that have ended up being able to have the ear of the Australian regulators to get action for them in this area. And now that they they know that they've still got the potential as if they can't come to a deal with Facebook, there is still the option for Facebook to be forced to go to arbitration. It begs the question of what their incentives are now to negotiate with Facebook in good faith to come to an agreement for the compensation for the use of their content. So I think it's going to be very interesting to watch in the next three months just what those contracts are and how they're struck because there's lots more game playing that can still go on in this space that could still come down the track to another standoff. So I don't think it's been resolved. It's really just kick the can down the road for three months to see what's going to happen. Yeah, there's a lot going on. You know, just I've been in the internet governance space for a very long time. So watching how Facebook is managing each one of these problem sets that they're presented with, usually by government with different solution sets, is really interesting. The oversight board just came out with another ruling today. And so they're using a, a multi-stakeholder process that's heavy on people that have, you know, a lot of privacy bona fides there. The Digital Marketing Act in Europe, you know, kind of watching how they're developing that and what what's in scope and out of scope. And so it's been interesting as you know that it takes a long time for Europe to elaborate on their point of view eventually with legislation, but some of their findings are always fascinating. And then it's like Australia just came out of the gate and was like, boom, no. We're going to do this right now. We're going to figure it out. We're going to put a dollar amount to it, which just kind of put everybody on the, you know, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, I guess they're, they're pretty well, serious course, about this. Of course, the Australian government has a track record of going early and against the international negotiations and trying to get consensus internationally on these things. If we go back about four or five years, they went early and fast on the issue of taxing the companies like Netflix that were delivering services in Australia, but billing offshore. And that was causing a tax leakage because, of course, if you deliver the service from Australia in Australia, then you're liable for goods and services tax. But if you deliver the service in Australia, but your billing is offshore, you're not not required to pay the tax. And that was causing a big leakage. For example, if someone substituted from an Australian cable TV company and went to Netflix for their service, of course, the Australian revenue was losing tax. So what the Treasurer at that time did was to pass a law in advance of any of the OECD negotiations to require these companies to pay tax to the Australian revenue. So they've got this track record of going really fast and hard against these for political reasons. And to an extent, it is legitimate and that they see it as legitimate because they see their revenues falling because of the international nature of these companies. So that's, again, part of the reason why these things are electorally popular. 
But it does, be, I think we really do have to step back from this and rather than just going in and solving the problem that's sitting immediately in the face of us, we need to step back and think of the fullness and the wider systemic interactions we have going on here because it's not obvious that a single solution is going to solve this and it's not necessarily the case either that all countries will want to have the same solution. Yeah, the OECD has gone back to what they call the base erosion and profit shifting, the EPS. And Janet Yellen here in the United States was one of the first things that she said, yeah, we can put that back on the table. So we're seeing our lovely tech friends, and I'm a big proponent of you know technology, but obviously we're, you know, between the antitrust competition tax issues and the the different levels of legislation that's being introduced specifically against them. And they're and they're putting those measurements to make sure they're only really going after the big guys, even though I realize there's consequences of the the smaller companies that get wrapped in that as well. There's a lot going on in the space. (laughs) And there's always that problem of where you draw the threshold, but none of this actually backs away from the fact that there is a very real problem out there in relation to the falling revenues for journalists in order to create news content and particularly in the political context about creating that credible content that is used to hold to account you know, their role as the fourth estate. Right. Yeah, Zuckerberg has quite famously declared that Facebook is part of the fifth estate and that they have a role in in doing that as well. But I think that issue about where we get the creation of this content and this trusted content, particularly at a local level in a world that has got these international platforms, where can an Australian go to get that credible news content? And how is that going to be funded in an international world where these overseas companies are competing for the revenues that we used to previously use to fund that creation, I think is a legitimate issue that needs to be addressed. And one of the things that I suggested is that in New Zealand, for example, we have partially addressed this by setting up a fund called the NZ On Air Broadcasting Code, which is a fund of money that is used where on a bid basis is used to fund the creation of specific New Zealand-related content. And one of the suggestions that I'd put up is, well, why could we not look at if the reduction in advertising revenue is really the main reason why these firms have been undercut, then perhaps a hypothecated tax on advertising revenue paid into a fund that could then be used to subsidise the creation of content would make a transparent process of funding where that money goes and to which providers the fund is used for creating that news content and would have the double benefit of ensuring the content is created, but also perhaps having a greater level of transparency and lack of bias in the news media, which is infamously biased by the creation or the funding that's come from, say, powerful owners who might have particular views. The paywall has another issue I have concerns with, even though I pay for a lot of paywalls, but it's the, aren't we selecting the bubbles even more? So, you know, the information that people have and where they go for information gets just even more finite and it's siloing. I worry about that. Well, yes, but we've we've always had that problem. I mean, even, even before we had the internet, we had people who preferred different newspapers because of the editorial tone that they took. I don't think we're going to be able to solve that problem because we just basically have heterogeneous humans with heterogeneous tastes, and we also have heterogeneous providers who are prepared to cater for them, and that's just the way the world is. So, Bronwyn, we're going to hope that you keep us up to date on what's going on with this. Really appreciate you being a guest on Explain to Shane today. 
Absolutely, it's been a pleasure to, to be able to share this with you. Thank you, Shane. Thank you for listening to another episode of Explain to Shane. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Explain to Shane.